All right, we are definitely recording now. Uh, I'm Reverend Andrew Christensen. Thank you for tuning in to Doth Protest Too Much. I'm an Episcopal priest uh, that runs this show, and today I have a very dear friend of mine, Stephen Burnett, is joining us today. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Ah, doing good, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, so tell me how your Christmas went. It went really good. Uh, my wife and I went to Asheville, North Carolina, uh, to visit the Biltmore house out there. It's uh, a state that one of Vanderbilt's like grandkids built, and it's like the largest private residence in the United States. Um, it is a huge mansion castle place. It was awesome. My wife has been there four or five times and loves it. And uh, she drove me along, and I'm now enthused as well. So. Does someone live there now? Yes, supposedly. Uh, what we were told is that someone lives on like the fifth floor. Okay. Now I don't know if they ever leave. I don't know. They didn't say that, but <laughs> were they there when you were there? I uh, don't know. We don't know. Uh, uh, I like to think they're haunting the place. Is what I like to think. Um, it's funny because I think I've heard of the house. I mean, mm-hmm. I have now, mm-hmm. but there's a house. I think it's I think it's the Winchester house. Mm-hmm. You know, the gun, the Winchester. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, the house, I don't know if it was the owner. Uh, any listeners, you can email me more info on it if you happen to know. But, um, yeah, it's it's like a house, but it's like not like the house you described. It's like nothing makes sense in the house. It, like it was, a, I think, a paranoid person or some, oh someone living there who had it designed in a way. It made no sense. It was like okay. you'd, wonder, you'd go into one room. I don't know. Maybe like a fun house. A fun house, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you'd open a door and you just fall uh, down to your, <laughs> to your death. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. But um, I'm kind of curious to Google Winchester death or Winchester death. <laughs> Winchester house. Now we're rather morose uh, for this episode. Mm. Uh, so what are we talking about for this episode? We're talking about Pentecostalism. Uh, we'll get onto that in a second. Uh, I don't know if Stephen prepared for this, but I was prepared to talk about my top five favorite. Christmas movies. Oh, yes. Maybe we can keep it at top four. Okay. Top um, four. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you have a top four? Uh, I can construct one very quickly. Um, I like uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original cartoon version. Um, I was recently horrified to find out that there are uh, there are two other features. If you rent this on Amazon right now, um, it's a triple feature. And there's one called The Grinch Grinches the Cat in the Hat. Is the second feature, and the third one is something like Halloween is Grinch Night, and they get progressively darker and weirder and more disturbing. And we they, they don't warn you about this at all. There's no warning. You just we watch the Grinch, and then it rolls right into the other two. And so that uh, not the other two, but the the, the How the Grinch Stole Christmas is number probably number one for me. Um, I like It's a Wonderful Life. Classic, My wife had yeah. never seen that before, Classic. so we watched that this year. Um, I don't know Christmas movies. I never was a fan of like White Christmas or anything like that. Too yeah. musically, I guess. Uh, I like uh, Christmas with the Cranks, which okay. is yeah. a little. It's Tim Allen. It's pretty recent, but uh, and um, I forget her name. Anyway, but it was with Christmas with the Cranks. I can't think yeah, of who it is either. Um, oh man. Anyway, doesn't matter. And uh, Probably, honestly, uh, the original Grinch. Uh, not the original, the uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch. Jim, Just, really? Yeah, okay. not, not because I've it's a great it, movie, so. but because it's so quotable and it has worked its way into my like subconscious. And, was there another Grinch? I know the Jim Carrey one. Well, has there been another one since yes. the year 2000? Yes, there was one like a few years ago that was like 3D animated. Oh, uh, okay. And Wasn't that a 
famous guy did the voice? Or... I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I, remember I saw it and I was like, it, it was okay. It's just, you know. Yeah. You can have too many Grinches. Right. I think. Um, yeah, that's, I, I didn't realize how many Grinch versions there were mm-hmm. until you just said that. I'm oh, interested yeah. in the, the, the dark version. You, it's I mean, crazy. I always heard uh, Dr. Seuss's little... In in the you know. in Halloween is Grinch night. Uh, there's a scene, and I won't I won't ruin it because I think you will probably go watch that. <laughs> uh, there's a scene where Max the dog has like a a midlife crisis and sings a song about it. Okay, like, nice. It's, uh, it's a it's yeah. That's a, I would never. Guess. I can't recommend um, it, but I I want you to see it. So yeah, you can talk about um, it. might be over the kids' heads a little bit, a little but bit. Uh, <laughs> so. So Stephen is a man of many talents. One of the talents I know him uh, for is his talent in youth ministry. I'd say he's a seasoned youth minister. Mm-hmm. He serves uh, as a young life leader locally mm-hmm. here in Shreveport at Magnet High School mm-hmm. and uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he's also assisted in our minist- our youth ministry at mm-hmm. the cathedral in Shreve- St. Mark's Cathedral. And he's recently married so to Channing, so congratulations to them both. Um, how Thanks, long man. have you been here? Uh, well, we've been we were married twice this year, actually. Twice, so yeah, that's going, right. I married them yeah. twice. That's right. <laughs> uh, April nineteenth was we eloped, and we eloped because we had no idea what this year would bring, like right. everyone else. A corona wedding, yeah. Mm. And and then uh, we kept our original date of the eighth of August, um, and then of course we sent our invitations out at the last possible second for that. We knew it was going to be a smaller crowd. And as soon the day after we sent the invitations out, uh, the governor lowered the re- like the re- or increased the restriction. And yeah. Again, and so we had to actually like sort through our list of invited guests and go, hey, hey, sorry, sorry, <laughs> we don't have the space anymore. And that yeah, was, you've never hard. uninvited someone to a wedding who's a delightful person and who you love. Yes. Yeah. But they had to be understanding. I mean, they Rachel were. and I, my, my wife, for our listeners. Uh, we we kind of had to make a decision. We we kind of just put a general announcement out. We we sent out disinvitations. It was kind of odd. It was like a card that said, uh, "Due to I don't know unforeseen or oh, yeah foreseen circumstances, you yeah. know, uh, you can now tune into us at Facebook video whatever. You know, everything's on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Stephen um, is not Pentecostal today, but he's mm. been inside that world. Yes. He is I was today. undercover. And, he's, uh, undercover. <laughs> he's undercover. Yeah. No, he didn't even no. know he was undercover. He's really not. Uh, well, we'll get into that <laughs> in a little bit. Um, and the reason why we did our Christmas. Uh, oh, I have to do mine. Yes, Father Father Paul, uh, you know, he and I just couldn't met, get a good time for us both to. Okay, we were going to do a Christmas movie episode exclusively just about <laughs> our. And, uh, but the nature of ordained ministry this time of year, it's just hard to, you know. But we'll have, we'll have Father Paul Costelli on, uh, assuming he's a dear friend of mine from seminary. Um, we'll do it for next Christmas. We'll do a Christmas movie thing. So I'm interested to hear his. Mine, let's see what mine would be. Uh, okay, so I, I guess they're not in any particular order, but... Oh, you two, didn't... No, no, no. You didn't give me that option. You uh, told me top four... So you literally top. gave me the yeah, order? the order, yeah. Dang, you got to put them in order. Even, I don't... I, <laughs> I'll just... I can just say in order right now. So, um, well, this is the first. Okay, I realize there's not that many good Christmas movies. I mean, mm-hmm. Christmas is an 
I mean, it's usually my favorite holiday and I've been in, I've worked retail and I've worked ministry and people would think that it wouldn't be my favorite holiday after mm. <laughs> working those two sectors. <laughs> right. But, um, it's still, you know, my favorite holiday and there's so much great Christmas music, sacred Christmas music, mm. not the crap I had to listen to in retail. Right. You know, I don't care about rocking around the Christmas tree. And I don't want a lot, lot for Christmas. Uh, and you know, what's that? <laughs> I don't want a lot for Christmas. You don't want a There's lot. For... Just one thing I know. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I made J- Jimmy eat a bug and all these type. Mm. What was that song? I ain't getting nothing. Oh yeah. Um, but I like the sake. I like. I, I should instead of calling it Christmas, I should call it Incarnation Day because I like the theology mm-hmm. of it. I like the religious meaning of it. I mm-hmm. like the birth of Christ. I'm, the reason for the season, as they say. So. Um, but I love Christmas. But I realize, and there's lots of great Christmas music. But I'm like, there's not, there's not a lot of great Christmas movies. There are some. Mm. So here are some that I picked out: Home Alone, mm-hmm. the first Home Alone. Yes. Um, and I think there was a, 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 a documentary series on Netflix. They're like 30 minute long episodes. They did about a favorite movie, a classic movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. They talked about the making of it. They did one for Home Alone. And that movie almost never got made. Studios fought. They, they switched from one studio to the other. Wow. There was um, casting issues. There was all kinds of issues. And then um, everyone thought it was going to flop. They brought on John Williams. as a, And they kind of joked about it. Like, John Williams. He's the... Because he was... I mean, he did Star Wars. Right. Jaw, I mean, he did all these great... Probably... Well, I don't even know. I'm not going to say... I don't know if he did the movie I was thinking of. Hmm. Um, but anyway, epic uh, film composer. And this is like a John Hughes movie. And he did a mm. bunch of teen 80s movies. And they joked right. about getting John Williams like it was actually going to happen. And they did. <laughs> and he wrote, the score makes the movie, really. Yeah. I mean, that score makes the movie. So Home Alone, it brings in a Christmas spirit for me. Granted, it's not a religious Christmas spirit so much. Sure. But I guess it's the sentiment, right? It's the goodwill. It's the it's the family, the things that matter, the right. people in our lives, the one you know, the good values and virtues of Christmas. And you know, I've noticed Christmas movies at least used to have that. Even though, like, and I'm not trying to go on a like, oh, we're in a post Christian age rant, mm-hmm. but at least like 30 years ago, movies had that yeah, kind of seems, spirit yeah, to it. Yeah. And like when I see Christmas movies now. A lot of them, and like for instance, like that that Mark Wahlberg, uh, Will Ferrell movie, the this, the the other guys. No, 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 no. Which is the best Mark? Wahlberg. Which is a great movie. I love it. Michael Keaton's character as yes. the Bed Bath and Beyond worker <laughs> slash police chief. I love that movie. That was the Christmas movie where Will Ferrell's dad and Mark. They're yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. One's the stepdad, one's the dad. I think it's, is, it, is it called stepdad or something like that? I something think so. Like that. They're, yeah. they're both based at Christmas. I saw the Christmas movies. Yeah. Know, by it. And they're goofy and they're funny and they're stupid, yeah. silly. But, like, that's all you get now with a lot of these Christmas right. like, like, Home Alone was, like, hilarious. Yeah. But it had serious moments. Right. Like, you don't get, you know, at least the, for me, the, that's the my thought. had, like, he was lonely at Christmas time. Right. Lost his family. There was this urgency on the on the family's part to get back to him, and obviously partially because they're going to get in major trouble if their kid gets injured and right. left him at home. But uh, you know, and and also you know the practicality of how to how to prevent intruders from coming into your house with only household supplies. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's a good. I love it. But, uh, <laughs> so Home Alone, I have a Christmas uh, two versions of the Christmas Carol, the Muppets mm, one. Oh, I watched that at a young age, and it just like yep, it 
it just it was I thought it was powerful. Yeah, I probably haven't watched it since I was at a young age. Maybe I'd find it kind of more goofy now, but I just was really like, and that's how I was introduced to the Charles Dickens story. Okay. I never read an abridged version or gotcha. watched any other things. That, that was first. Then another version of Christmas, the black and white Alistair Sim. I just thought that was mm. well done. It was from 1951, black and white. Wow! But they had these like dream, not dream sequences, but like how they brought in the ghosts mm-hmm. and the transitions from one ghost to the other and kind of him kind of coming in and out of the his world to okay. the world of the past where like that was ahead of its time i thought this the kind of the sequences they, they didn't have the tech back then they had they to really no. be clever and creative yeah. to make those things happen so i think it would kind of paint it really was a it was a trendsetter in a way mm-hmm. i don't know uh, I know everyone's probably listening. Okay, they're talking about movies and filmmaking, and film <laughs> but bear with us. We really need to get. Uh, so yeah, the two versions of Christmas Carol, um, and you know, I'd have to say uh, I have to throw Hook in there. Hook mm. is a Christmas movie. No one realizes it. it's just as much of Chris- Christmas movie as uh, you know. Hook is a Christmas movie, and it's uh, and it's like Home Alone. It has. Yeah. But um, I'm pretty sure it's Christmas. Someone can email me, like, no, you're wrong. It took place January 3rd. It was after Christmas. That's when he'd get away from work to go to England. That's when I buy all my Christmas supplies, though. So that is the most Christmassy time of year. And it's actually, Chris, we are, uh, I'm a, we are liturgically based podcast. So mm-hmm. Christmas actually ends on January 5th for our listeners. Uh, um, I, I want to, like, really get into that now, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> Uh, even though we're Protestant, we are liturgical mm-hmm. here on Doc Protest too much. So, again, go to January 5th. Uh, oh, I do have a top five. Because my number one, I can't believe I blanked on my number one favorite Christmas movie of all time is Die Hard. Yes. That is awesome. It is Die Hard. And uh, enough said. We, we won't get into Die we Hard. Watched, well, okay. Let me <laughs> no, 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 okay, one yeah, second. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we watched that this year with like to see if it was indeed a a Christmas movie and I'm like it had it had family mm-hmm. it had it was a lot of Christmas references Christmas music mm-hmm. um, it was all about like does this relationship matter what do we need in our lives can we get past our petty differences and right. come together and can we you know tape guns to our back well, and shoot there's the estranged marriage I guess and yeah. it kind of came together I mean if you watch the sequels it's you know how going. terrible a movie that would have been if you did all of that and saved everyone and she was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, she had I me. Mean, come on. They, she they, had to come around. You saved the day and she helped save the yeah. day too. I mean, they, they learned how to work. They worked together from a distance. They did. Without Wi-Fi. They're insane. Back in the 80s in a building on different floors. I mean, Heart-to-heart connection. I love that. And uh, even though the German in it is gibberish, mm. um, it's totally gibberish. They just, apparently the actors just, just, that's said hilarious. things that they thought sounded like German. I'm like, really? You, like, <laughs> you couldn't bring in a guy to just like, you know, you know. That's hilarious. Practice it over a couple times and then say the things in German for the, what, five German lines <laughs> in the whole movie. Um, I will forgive Alan Rickman for anything like that. Yeah. I mean, rest in peace. Yes, sir. Uh, and yeah. rise in glory, Alan Rickman. So, um, so anyways, on to Pentecostalism. So, mm. um, so on to the main topic of our show. You know, I stated in our earlier episodes that, that the intent of this show is really to be a discussion conversation forum that particularly looks at what we would call Reformation theology or the beliefs in history of the beliefs in regard to church traditions that arose in the 16th century Reformation. So that, of course, 
the, the big three on that is Anglicanism, Lutheranism, and the Reformed tradition, or you could say the Calvinist tradition. If for Reformed, we mean like churches that kind of follow the lead of Calvin's beliefs. Also Zwingli, Ulrich Zwingli. Um, so those three. Interestingly, we are doing this episode on a church tradition that is not so much tied to that. Hmm. Pentecostalism originated in the late 19th or early 20th century. I believe Stephen will elaborate on that in a moment. Um, And it was part of many, I guess what we could call frontier Mm -hmm. religious. I mean, it originated in North America. Yes. And a lot of, there's a lot of different religious groups. Salvation Army is one, which is very different. I mean, as we, we're also going to talk about Amy McPherson, spoiler, (laughs) towards the end of the episode. And uh, she has kind of a history with both Salvation Army and Pentecostalism. But, um, but Pentecostalism is, yes, like like many r- religious movements that arose relatively recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, early 20th century um, uh, through religious awakenings and revivals and that whole scene. We're going to get into a little bit of that. So while the other traditions, Anglican, Lutheranism, and Reformed, are, are European in origin, um, we're kind of slightly or greatly shifting gears to look at the Pentecostal tradition today. And of course, as I mentioned, we'll also be talking about the famous early 20th century evangelist, uh, Amy McPherson. And again, you're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. I'm going to do a little plug in for our future episodes quick before we move on. Uh, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes this month in February, in, uh, in January, I, sorry. We have a strong lineup. We got Stephen today. We got Reverend Ben Madison joining us. He's an Episcopal priest in New Jersey, contributor to Mockingbird, which is a magazine, has several podcasts, and it's an online blog. I encourage everyone to check out. Try to check out Mockingbird maybe before we uh, put that episode up in mid-January. Uh, we'll be discussing the law and gospel tradition or the law and gospel lens as it has been applied in Anglicanism. Um, also, we will have Dr. Gary Dorian. I'm very honored to have him. I re- I've read a couple of his books. He, we will be, be discussing German liberal theology. And that's a fascinating time period that brought us such intellectual and philosophical theologians out of Germany, such as Friedrich Schleiermacher, Adolf von Harnack, Albert, Albrecht Ritschel, I might mispronounce it, and so forth. Sometimes that period kind of gets alluded to. It's kind of seen as usually negatively. Um, and understandably gets different critiques. And if you, if you kind of study the, the advent of World War One and the theology behind it, sometimes that gets the blame of kind of leading Germany to have that feeling about itself. But, um, of course, nothing is, I mean, this is very simplistic. Nothing's that simple in history. So, and we are going to, to break all that down and get into all that when we have Dr. Gary Dorian on in late January. So please stay tuned for that. So we look forward to having these great guests on the show. But back to our discussion with Stephen. So, Stephen, tell us about some of the traits of Pentecostalism. And well, first, let's do a let's do a little biography. We'll get to the next question. In all a right. Second. Um, so, tell us briefly of your history in the Pentecostal tradition. Yeah. So I was uh, raised in the Assemblies of God denomination um, here here in Shreveport. My family is from here, and uh, raised there from like my parents. Um, before I was born, we're going to the Assemblies of God Church. Neither of them were raised Assemblies of God, so okay. uh, they were they were the first generation to to <clears throat> Pentecostal. But uh, raised in that environment, and the Assemblies of God Church is uh, it's great. It's very diverse in terms of um, in terms of what you might experience on a Sunday morning. 
there are some of God churches that are, I mean, massive mega churches and have, uh, I mean, just draw a lot of people and do a lot of ministry. There are more, there's some of God churches that are very community focused. Uh, and then there are some in the woods in Arkansas that handle snakes. Uh, oh, snake a, handling is, is, was part of Pentecostalism? Yes. Okay. I thought as a joke, I thought, we, no. should get a, we should do a snake handling episode. We, I should listen. find someone in Appalachia and bring them on. And, you know, I didn't know that that was an outgrowth of Pentecostalism. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the idea, the whole idea is that these supernatural things in Scripture can be counted on for now. That's right. the whole idea. And so there's a, there's a verse in Mark that says that you will pick up snakes with your hands. Right. And it implies that you won't be killed by them. It doesn't say that, but it implies that you won't be killed by them. Right. Uh, and so there are some that literally pick up snakes. And I've never seen this. I've never been a part of a group that has done that. I've seen a video online. You can find videos of people handling snakes and just as many videos of people being bitten by the snakes that they're handling. And so that's... Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. It's probably endless pages of YouTube results. Oh, that. I'm sure. Um, I'm surprised. That I, I'm tempted to look on like Prime or... There's probably Netflix a documentary. There's got to be a documentary. There's got to be something. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, date, that's... An old Dateline show from like the <laughs> 90s, you know, something. But yeah, so that's... Uh, I was raised in that, um, and they're, they're really great. The Pentecostal churches, the denominations, um, you got, you know, United Pentecostal is the big one. That's the one you think of where women don't cut their hair and guys wear... Women, you know, don't right. wear pants and things like that. Sure. Um, very traditional. Uh, you, you got uh, Summers of God. You've got Church of God in Christ. You've got um, you know Foursquare, which Amy Simple McPherson uh, founded that that okay. organization. You get a lot of movements um, in Pentecostalism because a it's it's kind of an American rooted uh, phenomenon. Right. Um, you get a lot of like independence, and so there's not this big top down leadership in a lot of these denominations. A right. lot of them are um, you know very you know congregational right. or, or di- some of them have districts and things like that. The Symbols of God's pretty well organized. They have a national office and district offices for so that's that's the one I, like I that. when I first think of a, a denomination of it, it's it's you know right. And of, and technically and I was told uh, I went to Somebody's of God Bible college uh, for a couple of years and I was told that the difference is Symbols of God is not a denomination technically. Um, they uh, they are a, a fellowship of churches, and the difference I was told is that my tuition would be more expensive because we're not a denomination. <laughs> that's what yeah, I mean. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so that's that's the difference. It's it's, it's it functions like that, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, okay. Um, yeah. And it's fun. well, I like what you said about uh, it, it's not hierarchical, really. It's right. not like no. a very much. It, it's very much a bottom up movement. Yes. And as we like talk about Amy McPherson's story later, we, we will definitely see that to a large extent um and it kind of brings it up you know from you know i'm a priest in the episcopal church and a lot of these kind of established old line mainline church denominations early on in the history and still today we, we almost kind of look down and it's almost like mm-hmm. a i've sensed a snobbery and you probably seem to even yeah. from like baptist and reformed churches that probably look down upon these type they probably saw them as kind of yeah, they're, very, they're not orderly, emotionalism, they're, emotionalism, yeah. they're wild, they're spontaneous. Right. Um, it's kind of like a, a ghetto religion, you yeah. know, just kind of, yeah. you know, just um, not sophisticated. Right. And well, so, and I, I joke that if you pick up a book, like, written by someone... Uh, yes, on Reformation. I remember you told me that. Yeah, one. yeah. Like, the, 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 the font is tiny and the book is thick. 
And if you pick up a book written by a Pentecostal, the, the font is huge and the books are very thin. And lots of exclamation points. When you originally told me that, you said it was like a – no, you're right. But you were saying like like the difference between a Pentecostal book and a Reformed book. Yeah. Like some Reformed theology. Yeah. John MacArthur, you yes. know, John yes. Piper, whoever. They're going to have you this big, thick book with yeah. all the – very systematic theology. Yeah. Pentecostals um, – not systematic. What would be the word? Experiential. 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 Um, so, uh, but, um, we will, tr- um, so the point of the show is not to make fun of or criticize no. it. Even, so, even we get into Amy McPherson in a bit, who is controversial and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, problematic aspects of her story in life. Who yeah. doesn't have that in right. their life? Right. Who doesn't have that in their life? Um, every, we all have problems in our life. And so, um, I'm hoping to kind of just to, to give an, a good, honest, fair look into, um, what, brought on Pentecostalism. And, yeah. and I think, like you said, Stephen, it's, um, it's an umbrella term. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are yeah. some of the denominations that... Well, yeah. Assemblies uh, of God, obviously, Church of God in Christ, um, Foursquare Denomination, right. which Amy Simple McPherson, uh, uh, United Pentecostal. Um, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, you've got kind of vineyard churches and you wind up having a kind of a, a, a bleed over into... Um, charismatic mm-hmm. movement stuff yeah. where um, people that maybe maybe like a Pentecostal church you could say might emphasize using gifts of the spirit, uh, speaking in tongues, that kind of thing, uh, miracles, right? Yeah. And in uh, a, a very experiential relationship with God, where yeah. in prayer you can expect to interact with God. Um, whereas some charismatic churches don't look down on those things, but don't promote them actively, you know. Right. And so you have you know places with you know. Uh, you know, loud music, drums, the, the the fog machines, and stuff like that. And you have some Pentecostals feel comfortable in that environment. They're okay with Pentecostals, but it's it's not. So there's there, there is some distinction then you said between yeah Pentecostal between charismatic, and charismatic and, yes yeah. I, and I've always uh, I, I remember some church historian said once that there's Pentecostalism is actually kind of the, a fourth branch of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's how they put. It. They say there's Roman Catholicism. Eastern Orthodoxy, Protestantism, and they like Pentecostalism is like its own branch. Yeah. So, um, well, it's huge. I mean, it, Pentecostalism. If you look at the umbrella, under that umbrella is the largest and fastest growing uh, evangelism and missions effort in the world. I yeah, mean, it's huge. It's spreading like wildfire um, in in Africa yeah. and South America. So, South America. I heard the big two. Um, the big two contenders. It's always Pentecostalism versus Roman Catholicism. Yeah. they're always like yeah. It's like a rivalry. How many people they can adhere? It's true, can, and it's because they can get, yeah. it's because it's so experience based, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's conversion based. Yes, it's you know. Yes, um, yeah. It is about going out, and I mean the idea behind um, the gifts of the spirit for the for the early like Pentecostals and pre Pentecostals people that right. before the movement even began, like they had this. You asked about a theme earlier of, of Pentecostalism, right. and I would say uh, the theme would be something like there's God, there's something more, there has to be something more. That's like the thing that kept people um, moving and searching and praying. And yeah. I mean, we're talking about a, a group of people at the turn of the century that spent, you know, huge chunks of their day, lay people that were praying for five, six, seven hours. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read about uh, William Seymour was kind of like, I heard him referred to as the Martin Luther of Pentecostalism. Right. Um, he was a, a black preacher uh, that, from Louisiana that, that well, found himself in uh, in California 
at Azusa Street when that revival broke out. But he was praying. He was staying with a guy in California before the revival broke out, and they were praying all night long. And then that guy would would not even he would just get up and go to work and yeah. work a full day and catch whatever sleep he could catch, you know. And then they'd stay up all night the next night. Oh I mean, gosh, these are people that. But the idea is, we believe the Bible is true. There's a lot of miraculous things in the Bible, so we should expect to find those things. And that, that's the whole right. idea. And so, um, you know, that's 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 the theme is there's got to be something right. more. Well, and, and they also, because a lot of those, and not just Pentecostalism, but all those late 19th, early 20th century movements yeah. had this whole idea that the church, as hit, the institutional church over time has forgotten its, yeah. its biblical roots, but it's also forgotten... Um, he sings in the Bible. It's not like they just stopped. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's some, uh, what's, what's dispensation, you know, dispensational or just, just stops, right? And cessationism. And, and, cessation, the, yeah. Yeah. and they would, they would consider you know, the Reformation as a good step forward, right? But not quite getting <laughs> to, I mean, because we should be like it was in the Bible, right? Right, right. Uh, with all the things that we would consider extraordinary and, uh, crazy phenomena like like tongue speaking healing yeah. that stuff doesn't yeah. go rationally that stuff doesn't doesn't just go on in the normal world but they right. would say no that's what that's the world picture of the new testament that needs to be our world picture today right that's um, the idea yeah i kind of sense that reading uh amy's stuff about amy mcpherson too mm-hmm. um so some well i guess i guess you already touched up on some of this yeah. i was going to ask you about some of the traits of pentecostalism and how it differs from other I'll make this personal biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does how do traits of Pentecostalism differ from other Christian traditions that you've been yeah. part of since or also? Yeah, because no, I know that's, you've that's been a, you've been in, plugged into a couple different church settings yes. in your years as as a, as as a Christian. Yeah, and so how do what was your from kind of experience standpoint? What was it like in like your current church? Yeah, or any church since? Yeah, yeah. Compared so, to Pentecostal. It's it's all about it's all about emphasis and and one thing because um, you know uh, I've I've gone I've gone to, to your church and and worship there uh, my boss is um, is a uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox and I've been to his that's right to his church several times it, yeah yeah and uh, my wife uh, died in the wool uh, Southern Baptist yeah and so and we, we go to a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I mean, but it's all about emphasis, really. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's what and and I found yeah. that just about everyone thinks that their thing is like the thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> our theology, our way of doing things. This is how it really should be. And yeah, okay, everyone else is getting some good stuff too, I'm sure. But right. um, and I I don't know the way I've kind of navigated that is uh, you know what do I need at this point in my life? What do I need from God at this right. point in my life? And Pentecostals have like an emphasis and they, they will, it, the theology will drive you to, uh, to spend time in prayer and to spend time uh, and not in an expectant kind of prayer. Right. A kind of prayer where you're talking to God and expecting to get some sort of direction or, or talking to God and expecting to get some sort of um, a sensation or, or like. Uh, an awareness in your, in, even in your body, like I, God is here with me. You know, you, you know that when you say the body, because mm-hmm. when we, we when we think of spiritual things, we often like kind of make this, sep, you know, that what happens in the natural physical world, 
is this, you know, what happens and then spiritually, where are you spiritually? What's your spiritual, you know, right. It's almost like a separation of the two. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I want to share like a little bit of a personal yeah. experience I had um, where I really felt the spirit. I'll allow and there was a physical aspect to that. Yeah, I guess Steve will allow me. There was a physical aspect to that. So my, um, and I've told the story with some of the parishioners at St. Mark's, and, and I get around to telling it once in a while, but um, I, I uh, the late, the latter part of my adolescent years, I wasn't, I didn't really go to church much. Um, I just wasn't church involved, didn't mm-hmm. have that in my life. Uh, still believe in God, mm-hmm. still prayed, especially when I was in trouble or, you know, needed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God saved me out of this, but, yeah. um, so, and that's kind of an interesting part of my story I can put in when, when, cause look at me now, I'm an ordained ministry, <laughs> you know, but when I was 20, I started going to church again and I started mm-hmm. going to an Episcopal church, Calvary Memorial Episcopal church in Saginaw, Michigan. And it was a very small congregation, but it was a healthy, it wasn't mm-hmm. small dwindling. It was a small, but very healthy, mm-hmm. very familial, like a family like congregation. Mm-hmm. And um, I went there, and after two years of me going there, they closed. They ended up merging with a bigger congregation. Um, and that they did a service on a Tuesday evening. It was like the, they had their last Sunday service. And that Tuesday evening, they did a deconsecrate, which sounds mm-hmm. so dark, a deconsecration <laughs> of the church building, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. this building is going to be used sure. for other purposes. Now, thank God it actually went to another church. I think it was a, it was a, it was actually, I think it might've been a Pentecostal oh, church. Yeah. It was a Hispanic <laughs> ministry. I think it was a Pentecostal church and it's called Christ image church, at least for a while. It was That's kind of like, so I'm glad it was gasoline used. out of the car before you give it to someone. I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Right. I, I'm glad it was given to people yeah. to glorify God's cells. I'm very happy about that. Um, I mean, it's great. And, uh, so anyways, uh, so we had our last service there. And it was a, there was a, it was a kind of a modified liturgical thing, partly based on, on a liturgical resource we have in the Episcopal Church to do that when you, when you deconsecrate something mm-hmm. that this is no longer going to be for the, you know. And we had the service, and there was a part, le- part in the service that they had a mic there, and they, anyone who wants to come up and just share anything, you know, mm-hmm. about. And two people went up. We had the senior warden go up and, and say some some couple of really good good things about mm. Calvary and his time there. And then I went up. And this is a very emotion, emotional, you know, moment. Um, and so, and I sh- and I just, you know, I had some things jotted down, mm-hmm. like an index card, some some things I wanted to share about my time there, what it meant to me, how really, I like to say, oh, that's that music tune. If it picks up, that's that's from my dishwasher. It plays a song when it's done. Um, but I had some things written down about what I, you know, what I wanted to say about Calvary. Just and uh, how, and I joke like, oh, I found God again. Oh, God find, finds you. Mm-hmm. You don't right, find right. God. God <laughs> finds you. He knows where you are all the time. Um, and I went up there and I, and I started to, and I was like, I felt so choked up because it was so emotional. Mm-hmm. I just like, I said a quick prayer in my head, you know, send the Holy Spirit down to mm-hmm. just let me say the things I want to say right. because I really need to say these things. Right. And, and, uh, I felt, and I was able to say them and I felt like almost like something was not possessing me. Cause I mean, right. that's, that's a, not a good term, but something was entering me and I had a warm physical feeling. This wasn't yeah. just like a, I felt a spiritual ecstasy. You know, this was right. a, I physically felt a warmth going on. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, while I was saying, and, um, 
sometimes that can be unhealthy because we try to chase that. Yes. We want to have yes. that feeling again. Yeah. And we never find it anywhere. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm, I'm not as close to God as I feel like I should be. Or, right. but, but that's not the case. I mean, you know, it's, it's just that I think God blesses us with these moments where we're going to have that. You know? Yeah. So that was a very formative time for me. I, thank you for letting me share that. No, it no. Was, um, if, if I, that. That's kind of my closest thing to a Pentecostal <laughs> experience that I've ever had. So, Well, no, like, so I had, uh, I was part of a, a Bible college that required, this is in Louisiana, um, that required uh, Pentecostal, and it mm-hmm. required you to uh, go on a mission trip to New Orleans um, uh, during Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. and you know go down there and share really? Christ with uh, the participants in the Mardi Gras Ooh, festivities. Yep. So uh, you, you can imagine you're like, going to, to Gomorrah itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you can just imagine, like you know, th- there's. There's you know right place wrong time thing. Yeah, there is. There this is. is wrong place wrong time. Yes, <laughs> for that. I wasn't gonna say that. I was gonna like. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it was honestly it was it was one of the worst weeks of my life because I kept Ooh, getting in trouble. No, no, no. You're, you're I'm not scarred by it, but uh, it was probably an overstatement. But I kept getting in trouble for uh, spending too much time talking to individuals and okay. not moving through people quicker. Right. Right. But. This one talking about a, uh, and this I'm going to lead into something with this. Uh, I, you know, was very discouraged, and I had this moment though where uh, I was in the street and I saw this guy surrounded by his buddies, and they were, you know, drunk, clearly drunk as everyone was down there, and I did not think for most of what I'm about to tell you, but I just walked up to the guy and I put my hands on him. I grabbed him. <laughs> I grabbed yeah. this man by the shoulders. And started telling him about Jesus. And his buddy started trying to like pull us apart and stuff. Like, yeah, there's four or five guys there yeah. with him. They're probably, yeah, and they're like, what are you doing, doing man? Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, I didn't know. I, mean, I was just telling this guy about Jesus. And he was like, you ever look at somebody and you know they're registering what you're saying? Like, you yes. can see it in their eyes. Yep. Like, that happened. Like, he was locked in, talked to him for a few minutes, I let go of him and walked away. And I was like, I don't know what the heck I just did. That yeah. was weird. But that like that literally is the the whole point and purpose uh, for these early, early Pentecostals was this is God empowering you to share the gospel. That is the yeah. purpose of any of all of this. Um, and they would shut people down in these services at Azusa Street. I mean, you pack in 800 people into what is essentially a barn. Yeah. And they have services going all day long. And people act out. People try and stand up and and share something, and it's out of line. Or people uh, try and make a spectacle or a scene because there were spectacles and scenes going oh, yeah. on. Yeah. But there was some like the, the William Seymour, the, the the pastor and the leader of this movement. There was some uh, discernment that he had about what was what was right and what was wrong, and he would go out there and just lovingly shut people down, say, "No, yeah. no we're not doing that right now. That's not what this is for." Um, but it's for the purpose of. Of, of evangelism missions sharing right. Christ with the people um, and so that that is a, that is a time that I had like I don't know and it was very much a I'm not that kind of person I don't walk up to people and just start right. grabbing them and I have self-preservation and also I was more shy back then than I am now and uh, it was a very weird out of character thing and so you know I, I can I can attribute that to say hey you know Something mm-hmm. good happened there. The Holy Spirit was involved in that. So, and that, I mean, it's great. yeah, as you said, out of character, like it was just like I wouldn't normally do that, but right. Obviously, there's I'd something dead. outside <laughs> of myself, right, 
that caused that to happen. Right. Um, so yeah, so um, so basically the Pentecostal. So I think one of the usually, uh, and I know like people who I know like mainline denomination people who have been involved with dialogues of Pentecostalism, mm-hmm. who have kind of had some interest in Pentecostalism. A uh, quick quick story: I had a New Testament professor in seminary who, I mean, uh, was was Lutheran, mm-hmm. and he was born Lutheran, raised Lutheran. Became a Lutheran pastor, became a Lutheran professor, Lutheran to this day. Didn't even know anything about Pentecostalism, but like when he was in college, he would uh, he would be in his bed at night in a dorm and just start speaking in a language he did not mm-hmm. know. Wow. And this happened for some time, and he finally went to his pastor, Lutheran pastor, about mm-hmm. it, and 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 it was very like. Because kind of you know, I was raised Lutheran. So like the emphasis I know from Lutheranism is that um, you know if, if things that are 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 proclaimed, declared have to be intelligible, and right. you know it's um, which I, I very much that. respect. I mean, that. Yeah. And Paul said that. Yeah. Paul's like, you need to I mean like you can't. This can't just be there. There needs yeah. to be. This is a means to something else, mm-hmm. and there has to be a translator of it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so. And so he was like, he's kind of embarrassed about it. He's ashamed. He finally went to his Lutheran pastor. Lutheran pastor, I mean, listened to him, mm-hmm. cared for him, um, and and said, you know, I'm going to connect you with, uh, I know some people in a Pentecostal mm-hmm. church. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, so, and so this professor I had, during his college years, he went to a Pentecostal church for a couple of years. He wow. said, um, because... because um, the guy was pretty well, they do this sort of thing down there, so you just go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, and he said, I don't know how to handle he, this. He, he, had it, he had a shared experience. He saw yeah. it wasn't just, but oh, after a couple of years, he said, ultimately, the theology for me, right? I couldn't go with that. So yeah. he, he went with, and he, he's in his 60s now. He said, I've never had experiences like that since, mm. but I did then, yeah. And uh, and he told me, you know, and so it was really, you know, that was the first time I really heard someone personally share about tongue speaking experience. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I going? Oh, I was saying basically like, uh, so I know some people in my, my own kind of mainline tradition who've kind of engaged the Pentecostal. They've, they've mm-hmm. been in dialogues with Pentecostal churches. And um, and so what the, something positive they say about Pentecostalism is that it really uh, brought the Holy Spirit. Because we think of God, we think of God, Father, Son, Holy right. Spirit. It right. brought the Holy Spirit, um, you know, from the background yeah. into... Into to the, to the focus part of the, the Holy Spirit, now, part right. of the conversation, yeah, finally deserves right. And right. Um, you know, it's funny. I should pull up. I'm going to read uh, our Apostles' uh, Creed. I'm going to make sure I'm still recording because I just clicked out of the tab. Okay, good. good. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to share. Like, for instance, every Sunday uh, in the Episcopal Church and in other uh, liturgical churches, we say the Apostles' Creed. Or sorry, we, we say the Apostles' Creed on, on our morning prayer, evening prayer, but in our primary Sunday service, we say the Nicene Creed together. And the Nicene Creed, of course, is, goes back to the Council of Nicaea. It spells out what we believe about God. It spell, and, it, and it's in very much a, the, the, the layout of it is Trinitarian because it talks about the Father, it talks about the Son, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go ahead and read what it says about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. 
We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So that piece, it's uh, it's beautifully written. I think, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's one of those, the creed stands the test of time, you can say. But if you look at kind of the, I mean, there's a lot of time spent on this on, on the Lord Jesus Christ, the middle part of the creed. There's a lot of time spent on the Son. And, of course, because that's what we tangibly know, right? And that's right. what we read about in the right. Gospels. We right. read about the life and the ministry of the Son, of Jesus Christ. When we get to the Spirit, some people say, oh, we're kind of just quick with the Spirit. We say a couple sentences yeah. about it, and then we go right from the Spirit yeah. into the church. Yeah. Right? We, we just say, okay, Spirit, we said your peace. Now we're talking about the church. And now... Again, there's a connection there, obviously, because the the, the church is led by the Spirit. Right. And, and this church is naturally what comes out of the Spirit, you know, and the leading of it. And well, so... In the, in the Apostles' Creed, it's like he's in a list. Yeah. It's even quicker. Yeah, it's even more. Yeah. It's even... Uh, so... Uh, and I drive by right, and I guess I could, I could take a couple minutes here. Um, um, so this the spirit. So this led to a couple things. Um, in the so we'll get back to Pentecostalism, but in in the like the Episcopal Church and in mainline churches, starting in the 20th century, there was kind of a renewed interest in the Holy Spirit, and there's a whole field of theology called pneumatology mm-hmm. um, about um, the study that not Christology about the nature of Christ, and but pneumatology. How does the spirit work in the life of the church you know since the bible and um there's all kinds of stuff i mean you just type in pneumatology on some academic theological database and you're going to find all kinds of you know there's people who have all kinds of fun with this so there's pneumatology is a subfield of theology and there's been some debates on it um a recent one was uh in eastern orthodox church um, in their version of the Nicene Creed, they say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, but not from the Son. Mm. In the Western Church, now that goes back to a um, something the Western Church did, kind of without conversation with the Eastern Church, and so um, you know, there, there's you could have a whole episode about um, the filioque clause is the clause that says um, the Father and the Son, mm. and. Uh, and there, there's a lot of theological debate around this topic about well, uh, should we should we change the creed to go back to um, just saying the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father? Mm-hmm. And for me personally, um, I'm on board with not changing mm-hmm. that because I think you know it because by saying the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, we're not subjecting the Spirit to the Father. There's no hierarchy. It's not like the right. Father is the greatest right. person and the Holy and the Holy Spirit's the the, the right serves the Son who serves yeah. the Father yeah. who serves the it, it emphasizes the oneness and the connection of the Holy Trinity from right. Well, he, and, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ, right. Yeah, in which, Scripture. So. Which is, this, that's a whole other subfield called Spirit Christology, which is finally getting its, it's elegant. Seriously, this is like 2010s. Oh, I was like, I, I'm it's not It's Spirit this. Christology. Okay, okay. There was a, uh, it, there's a couple of theologians out there writing about the, how, like, because it talks about how the Holy Spirit rests upon Jesus at the uh, baptism. The Holy Spirit is on Jesus. Like, the Holy Spirit can never right. be detached from the Son. And I feel like some of these pneumato- pneumatological trends that try to give, like, yeah, understandably, what we want to give the Spirit his voice. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to, but we also don't want to... Um, detach him from yeah. Jesus because it's the spirit of Christ, right? right? And there, 
who know we can't fully comprehend right because right. I mean, we're used to we talk about our spirits our souls like when we die our soul goes yeah. somewhere we have a spirit you know it's it's different when you're talking about god but in trinitarian you know things about god uh well there's but, something here too uh <clears throat> in, in terms of like pentecostal theology where uh you know philippians 2 mm-hmm. is my favorite passage in the bible that poem that uh that paul that paul you know relates that uh, basically says that Christ emptied himself and right. became like us. Kenosis, and so the, yes. Right, right. And so that at the baptism uh, of Jesus in the Jordan River by John, um, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And then after that, miracles are recorded. After right. that, these signs and wonders are recorded. That So that you know, the, the Pentecostal view of that is something like Jesus showed up just as we are. Right. And then the Holy Spirit came on him to empower him, and uh, just like he comes on us to empower us. And so it's very much like Christ is uh, the first, you know, he's showing us the way in that way. So, right. yeah, very, again, very experiential, very uh, present, um, you know, kind of out of the realm of what's mental, right? That's right. kind of a, a right. big thing. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said something great about the importance of the Son and the Spirit's relationship. Um, gosh. I brought it up and I can't even loosely paraphrase <laughs> it because it's a beautiful quote. But he, 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 it was basically like you can't, I mean, it, it was wonderfully put. And um, I'll tell you what, I will, I'll put it in the info on uh, our podcast. The show notes. The show notes yeah. on our episode. Uh, but he said something great. Uh, but yeah, we need to get moving on a little bit. Um, <laughs> I do have a quote because I'm really curious. Have you experienced tongue speaking? Yeah. Yes, I have. Uh, okay. It's something like... And, you know, so my, I told you earlier, uh, my wife is uh, dyed in the wool Southern Baptist. And so we were driving down the road um, on probably our third date, our first dinner date. And had she she been in like the driver's seat, she would have slammed on the brakes, thrown me out of the car and peeled out. Because I, 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 I mentioned, she was like, we're talking about these things that I mentioned. Yeah, I've spoken to them before. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, for her, you know, she's she believed that that was something that clearly it's in the Bible that mm-hmm. it happened, but it's something that's rare. Um, I mm-hmm. hope I'm not, you know, mischaracterizing what she would think, but uh, it was it's rare, and it was very much like a, a a human language that God gives you the ability to speak in temporarily, so that you can lead a person of another language to Christ. So that language is not a barrier to the gospel. Right. Right. And so uh, we talked about it a little bit. I was driving, so I didn't get kicked out of the car. It worked out well. Um, we talked about it a little bit, and I, I just brought up uh, I brought up the verse uh, where Paul talks about. We mentioned it earlier. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier uh, that things been done in order, and that if there is uh, a message in tongues given in a church service, that interpretation should follow because sure, it's supposed yeah. to be to edify the believers. And I just asked her. I said. Uh, so, like, if this is a language that is a human language meant for the hearer, why is there an interpretation needed? Right. Right. And so, uh, and for her, that, that at least got her thinking I wasn't crazy. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I have experienced that. It's one of those things where if you've, if you've done that, then all the verses that talk about speaking in tongues, you're like, yeah, that's that, that, right. that thing. You know, sure. It doesn't seem like some ancient right. thing Right. Really crazy. Yeah. And, and But if you have it, then it's like, well, we have to explain what this is and okay. we have to go into it. And, uh, you know, there are some that are very 
committed to like that was a, a very temporary thing that happened in a certain sure. dispensation it was sure. before the bible was bound and written and given to us and now we have everything we need in the word um but if you've done it and you've been around it your whole life it's like yeah right that's just that thing you know? and it, it's funny you know a lot of people don't, well a lot of people know who've been in the episcopal church long enough the episcopal church went through a well it, i always hear it termed as a charismatic like a renewal like the thing. catholic church went through in the 60s they had a charismatic yeah renewal, yeah. yeah during the 80s the episcopal okay. church really went through one i did feel that in my second year of seminary and y'all are always behind aren't you come on yeah we are <laughs> we did it in our field that we had a uh my field that i did i did yeah. which is like an intern you do your internship uh you do an internship two of your three years of seminary you do an internship at a church okay you, you serve under a priest and you and uh I did it at two different churches, and the one in my second year, that church had been a charismatic Episcopal church in during the eighties, and they had and they were they were a really big church during that time, mm. and, and uh, they were in Westerville, Ohio, and word got around, and people kind of joke, and some of the Episcopalians looked down upon them, like they're the they combined charismatic and Episcopal, they combined the two words in a way that's the Charis Episcopal? No, that's not it. <laughs> They're the Episcomatics. That's that was Episcomatics. it. They're the Episcomatics. That sounds like a washing machine. You right. Like the sixties, and they would do like. I mean, there. I think there was some tongue speaking. I don't want to like. You know, I want to be. You know, I don't want. I want to be accurate. Sure. I want to be. Accurate. But um, there was some th- things you wouldn't see in an Episcopal church. Right. First off, but there was also some these great signs that they they, they would have this type of thing. When I was there, this is many years later. Um, they still had during Eucharist, during communion, you know, after you receive bread and wine, you would go, um, there's a little like circle where they would lay their hands on each other and pray mm-hmm. for healing. But it was kind of, it was like holistic. It was a healing of, of things of yeah. mind, spirit. I mean, all kinds of things. Emotion, it wasn't like physical too, people yeah. like coming with their ailments and stuff like. There wasn't a pile of like, of like crutches in the back. Or yeah. Something. Nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Um, yeah. but it was interesting. I mean, so the Episcopal church has some history with that and that that might even be the topic of uh, another episode the charismatic cool. era of the episcopal church i so. mean if i can just like one thing that is interesting to me because you mentioned um <clears throat> you mentioned the, the lutheran uh, uh priest you're talking about that had that experience and didn't like the theology right mm-hmm. like that's what's interesting to me about and what i found to be um cool coming from that background is that the the, the, the pentecostal church came out of like wesleyan holiness Right. Yes. And so it came okay. out of that movement. So that's, 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 that's the roots of it. And the idea there was um, there's the, the first work of grace and salvation. And then these Wesleyan holiness people uh, that broke off of, of uh, the Methodist church were convinced that there was a second work of grace called sanctification. sanctification. Yeah. Yes. And so it was like you get saved and then God works on you. you know, yes. The time. second work of grace. Right. Right. So you, because yeah. they had this big hang up over um, the fact that, you know, when you're saved immediately, Christ looks at you as, you know, right. as, as set apart, but you still have these weird behaviors that are not in, sure. congruent with that. The old Adam. That's a Lutheran call. Yeah. The old Adam. <laughs> so, and then off of that group, you know, over time, there was the theology of this third work of grace, which mm-hmm. was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which would empower believers, right? So, but my point is, there is a very, like, Pentecostalism, Pentecostal theology comes out of this, like, Wesleyan holiness movement. But the the idea of the gifts of the Spirit, the idea of even speaking in tongues and things like that, that does not conflict with these other like branches of theology. Yeah. Like you don't have to whole cloth take all of this like tr- this holiness tradition, right? 
yeah. to to experience like the power and presence of God. So right. I found that it's easy for me as someone who's experienced some of these things to go into different uh, different churches and, and experience God. Uh, what those churches and denominations have to offer. Right. Because there are things there that aren't in the Pentecostal church. There are real invaluable things. One of the things I love, um, I love about, about St. Mark's and about Episcopal churches is the, the, the whole, the, 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 the focus on the Eucharist, the focus on the Lord's Supper. Centrality us, of the second. Yeah. Receiving from Christ, like his body and blood. And, and that's the main thing. Like, I love that. I yeah. think that is so cool. Yeah. And I, I, you know, if I, you know, any church that would do that, like on a weekly basis, and, and, and do that every single time we get together, I think that's super valuable. Right. I love. Well, that. and there's also a, a reverse snobbery to be said about. Hmm. Kind of, I mean, some of the revival type traditions of hmm. Christianity, they look upon Anglicanism as like, well, you're just saying the same prayers every week. You're reading these ri- these written prayers. Oh yes. There's yes. no life in that. There's no spirit in that. You're just right. saying the same prayers. Every- I mean, real, tr- real, true prayer according to that mentality. Right. And I'm not trying to. You know, there's lots of. Oh, I, I, mean, I heard a lot of that. I heard a lot you of probably that. probably did, yeah. yeah. I mean, they would yeah, say that a, the Episcopal Church, I mean, it's just, it's not a real, is it like, you're right. a real well, church going on. You're not having real, you know, you're not having real spontaneous, not spontaneous, but prayers truly from the heart that arise right. in that setting. No, you're just reading these things printed in a prayer book and you read yeah. them over and over and over again you every Sunday. You know? Phrases like dead religion. Dead religion. You right. get, um, there's a, there's a verse about the, the, some of the theology or the theories of man, uh, systems of man make the word of God of none effect. But those kind of right. things get thrown around, um, you know. So there is there is some some snobbery there. Yeah, and um, I think it's a reverse snobbery because it's like it, it goes both ways. Like we think, yeah, 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 we, yeah. we think of them as miscreants. I would say we. I'm thinking Anglican. They sure. they look at us like we're just dry, so, uh, not real Christians. Right, right, right. And right, again, right. these are extremes. Oh, no, I mean, are, but yeah. these are the characters you will see pop up on both respective True. sides. You know? And in my, uh, the community I was raised in and my family, like they were very gracious and did not, but there are some Pentecostal uh, denominations and groups mm-hmm. that believe if you don't speak in tongues, you are not saved. That's what like, I was going to ask. Someone was going to ask you, was yeah. there a Christ? There so, is, it becomes a standard at some point. Yes. And so that's yeah, like the really hard legalistic side yeah. where it's like, if you don't have this experience, then people, of course, you know, that, what does that, that lead to? It leads to people tricking themselves and faking it. It leads yeah. to people oh, yeah. rejecting God entirely yeah. because he hasn't given me this gift, so he must not want me. Right. Right. Alienation. Yes. Or people, charlatan, people fake Yes. That, yes. Know? And so there, that's a really toxic doctrine, obviously, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, th- th- that, that's in there. It's part of some of this stuff where, you know, we're going to be snobby back to people that have been snobby to us and it's just stupid. Yeah. But Well, um, and the division plagues the body of Christ. It, mm-hmm. it, I mean, Christ prayed for his church to be one, his followers mm-hmm. to be one. And, um, you know, what we, this, I'm hoping this podcast maybe helps contribute yeah. to, you know, bringing some people together and realizing that, uh, you know, the, the, the caricatures aren't always true. Of the, right. You know. um, so we need to move on to Amy. Amy Simple it. McPherson. Let's do it. So um, I'll start this out. Amy McPherson, she was, I'm going to pull up, the, I don't encourage graduate students of theology to do this, <laughs> but I'm going to pull up her wiki page. Don't, don't uh, use Wikipedia as a source or undergraduate or even high school. I don't even let my eighth graders, um, use wikipedia 
as a legitimate source. I just want to give a brief over. I'm going to kind of skim the page and then we're going to get into her because my issue was like, I, there's a lot about her. There's There's documentaries. There's a really good book um, called, and I think it's, I found it through the footnotes of Wikipedia and it was like a 600 page biography (laughs) of Amy Mick, Fearson, and it's from Mark David Epstein. Mark David Epstein, he wrote, and that's, I believe, the book that they based the movie Sister Amy they made last Mm. year, which I have not watched. I've seen it. I really want to watch it. I'm surprised it's a movie. We should do it because they could have made a series. Yeah. We could could review it. We could could revisit it a couple months and review this movie, go off and watch it. So, (laughs) oh, there's a huge Wikipedia. So, Amy McFearson, okay, I'll sum it up because I read, you know. So, I listened to this book. It's a biography of Amy McPherson. She's an early Pentecostal. Early evangelist, right? Early 20th century evangelist. Um, I had seen pictures of her before because I'd seen I'd seen like pictures or footage. I don't remember where or when, but I, like, oh, this early Christian leader, this woman mm-hmm. leader, you know, which is a big thing in itself. Because right. for her time, you didn't have a lot of women doing this kind of thing. Right. But I'd see her and she'd be in this like white gown, this like this, this white. I mean, there's like. I was used to the vest, the things we wore, the attire, the vestments. We went in the Episcopal Church. She wore like, This was a little bit different yeah. from that. And it almost looked like culty. It kind of freaked me out. It was in black and white. And it was in this, like, it looked, it almost reminded me of, like, that, that Metropolis, you know, the Metropolis movie, the old, the old like, Fritz Long. I, this is even makes it worse. Hitler, <laughs> Hitler used that. His, his, his media propaganda, Gerbils, used uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that, that kind of imagery the cape of the, from the twenties, yeah, 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 just, yeah, and she kind of reminded me. Like when I saw this, I'm like, oh my gosh, it almost kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that image always stuck in my head. And I had a friend who like was kind of into her, like just like, oh yeah, like it's really like just because it. Just, you don't mean into her because she was an attractive woman. You mean like oh, she was a very attractive woman, <laughs> but it was kind of an aesthetic thing. He's he was, he was kind of a church nerd, church history junkie. And he's like, yeah, maybe Pearson. And uh, so, it was, you know, she, the aesthetic, it was kind of, but it was kind of, had a kind of a freaky aspect, the aesthetic, I guess. But yeah. she was an early 20th century, early to mid 20th century Pentecostal leader, really used the media to her advantage, um, you know, before Oral Roberts, before Billy yeah. Graham, before these big time. I mean, she was the first of that genre. She yeah. was the first evangelist. Yeah. That used the visual arts, and I guess television. Of course, television didn't really take off until the. But I mean, there's plenty of footage of her yeah. doing all these, you know, preaching and and so. And she has a fascinating life and a fascinating biography. I yeah. read the biography yeah. by Mark David, um, by Mark David Epstein, uh, which is called Sister Amy. That's mm-hmm. what the movie is based off. Mm. 600 pages. It's one of the best books I've read really? in recent years. Yes. I mean, wow. <laughs> Did you really rise? I'm like, really? You read such light stuff usually. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I read a lot of academic theology. Right, right. This was kind of a nice break because it was a biography. Break, right, right. Um, and about popular religion. Yeah. About academic theology. And, and she was popular. And she for, was very popular. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was not audible too. And it had a good narrator. Oh, okay. And so I was like, I was into because the narrator will make or break. It got into the nitty, the knit and the grit of her story. So, um, but yeah, so she was, um, and for people listening in, uh, I will safely assume you may have heard of her and at least know that basic background. She's a 
Big time evangelist. Yeah. And we can move on. Um, if there you was, haven't heard of her, your grandparents or right. like Right. She was huge. Yeah. She was huge from the Midwest. She kind of toured. She she went all over though. She went to the South. She went to California. Yeah. That's where she had her that Angelus Temple, yeah. which was in uh, the Church of the Four Square Gospel. She got a lot of uh, you know a lot of pro- a lot of issues from the Pentecostal movement because of that building. Oh yeah, because the Pentecostals were so like. Like you said, ghetto religion. Oh, yeah. Very much. She shots. wanted prime real estate. Yeah. She wanted a big building. Yep. Top notch. Performance hall. Performance. I mean, seriously. Top budget. Yeah. She wasn't settling for this. And she started in the Holy Roller yeah. basements and yeah. the tents. And she did that for many years. Um, so, but can you take a minute or two to talk about Foursquare? What's Foursquare? Yeah, so it's a, it's a uh, Foursquare is a denomination like the Assemblies of God. I had a friend that was uh, in the Foursquare Church when I was in high school, and we talked about it um, quite a bit, and it, realized it kind of differed basically uh, from the Assemblies of God just in the way they organized the denomination. Like mm-hmm. it was just the, the literally the bureaucracy of it all was different, but very similar to theology. Um, you know, the four so Foursquare was like a term. Meaning something was solid and well built, like right. firm foundation kind right. of four idea. Pillar, four yeah, four pillars. Right. This something is going right. to hold up, and and uh, you know, it was you know, I don't remember all the four squares. It was like uh, you know, Jesus the Savior. Um, I don't remember uh, what they were. Either. Yeah, Jesus the Savior. It was like Jesus the Healer, uh, and Jesus the King, and uh, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, was the, the four. Those were the four things that they were like really big on. But she founded that movement, and those people, while she was alive were like very loyal, very, very loyal, like followers of hers. And uh, while she was alive and, and before some of her scandals, even through some of her scandals, like, yeah. you know, she maintained that, that group of believers and a very sincere people that I, that I know that were, that were, uh, that were part of it. Yeah. Wow. So um, there's kind of four, four aspects of her that struck out. And, and again, yeah. I didn't, it's a big book. I was yeah. listening to, I, I took a trip to Dallas recently where I listened to the audiobook. I listened to it the entire way to Dallas. I listened to it most of the way back. And then I got the last hour. We're, get, we're almost getting home. I need to listen to some music. So I put <laughs> some music, but I'm listening to this. And there's kind of four. As, like she was, uh, the first one I'll talk, she was an alpha personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even goes back to her school days. She would, um, she would try to get away with as much as she could <laughs> as a school and this is back in the days where you used to have to stand in the corner with a cone on your head type thing, which, which I guess she used to. This is biography. The spank children Epstein. in the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, not spanky. I, can never, I won't get into that. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so, uh, oh, no, not spanking children. No, yeah. No. Yeah, can't do that. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, uh, so the alpha personality. Yeah. She, uh, so, yeah, she, like, she don't always be, like, on her feet to like question the teacher about this mm-hmm. or that. She would like try to like bend the rules the most they could be bent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean that alpha, that type A personality, that, that, um, and she had this throughout her life. I mean, it defines, and it makes sense when you see what she later does in life compared to what, uh, she did before. Oh, so she was hungry, like a hundred percent. And, uh, you say that, that alpha, that the questioning thing, like she, she met her first husband who was a preacher 
Yeah. Uh, because she was about ready to throw Christianity Robert, away. Robert Simple. Yes, yeah. Robert Simple. Yeah. She was ready to throw Christianity away because, you know, of evolution, the idea yeah. of evolution gaining prominence. And she was like, well, look, these things are incompatible. She had that idea that they yep. were incompatible. And all right, well, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore unless I can settle this. Right. And she went to one of uh, Robert Simple's sermons and was, you know, converted or reconverted. I don't know what you would say there, but her whole mind changed. Her whole right. changed. And she fell in love with him and <clears throat> right. married him. So. so she had a conversion experience with him. And, and she, this alpha personality she had, what Stephen was saying, or what you were saying, Stephen. Yeah. I'm talking to listeners and I'm talking to you, you know, I'm just trying to addressing whatever. Just ignore me. It's just ignore you. <laughs> She, um, I don't know, it's raining hard. We can hear it outside. Uh, but she, she went through this phase in her adolescence mm-hmm. where she totally questioned everything. Yeah. And she learned about, in a science class, I guess in the equivalent of high school, like her secondary education, she learned about evolution for the first mm-hmm. time. And uh, the prof- like she came to the professor with some honest questions because she had been brought up in faith from very... I don't want to say pious, but that's my word for it. Very, very pious. Mm-hmm. She was raised Methodist and mm-hmm. very faithful parents. And she brought these, like, she talked to her teacher and say, saying, look, I don't, um, these, there's not, they're not reconcilable, like you right. said. Like, right. I'm learning this. What about what the Bible says? What about what I've been taught right. from my religion? And so during her adolescence, she goes through this rebellion phase where she's like, and she went on full-fledged, like, the biography I read from Epstein mm-hmm. says that she got in an argument with her pastor, her Methodist pastor at yeah. the time. And she was saying how creation's wrong, the Bible's riddled with inconsistency. I mean, she, she like, she heard about Darwin in high school, but she's, like, spending time in the library in high school. This is stuff yeah. I did in college and seminary. Yeah. She's spending time in the library reading books from the time of, of natural scientists of uh, people who could, re- I mean, a very much modern persuasion, modern yeah. thinking, and she's soaking it all in. Yeah. I didn't do stuff like that in high school. I mean, to, right. the, the, the t- I mean, she was, she had an intellectual side to her that explored this and oh, wanted yeah. to answer the questions. And so, and so she went on like full fledged, like, and, and we'll talk about higher criticism a little bit in our episode with Gary Dorian, because that's really tied into as we study liberal theology in Germany. There's some tie in with that, but higher criticism basically. Uh, from the Enlightenment onward, uh, was was the attitude, an academic attitude of placing, kind of just leveling the Bible, make, placing it next to all other literature, and not seeing it as anything sacred or special or anything like that, but just kind of seeing it with that. And uh, so, and she uh, kind of had a crisis in faith at first, mm-hmm. but then just, um, she just, She's pretty much became an agnostic during her teenage years. She got in a, the biographer describes a conversation she had with her dad, where uh, with her father, and she like was, was rattling off all these things. I learned this from Darwin. I learned this from that. I learned this from that. What about this? What about all these um, natural ways to explain this or that? And questioning like the existence of God and mm-hmm. all these things. And her dad. Um, uh, you know, was very graceful with her. Very, you know, very. It didn't like blow up or anything, right. um, but just uh, just kind of listened to her. And he said something really. I don't remember what it was, but I didn't quote. I, it wasn't one of the quotes I pulled from from the book. But mm-hmm. basically, he just just uh, he he raised up a kind of an interesting question for her that she just couldn't answer in that moment. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. I'll get 
back to you or something. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she has this conversion experience by meeting Robert Semple. And uh, so she's raised Methodist. This is the interesting part about her. Um, she was raised Methodist. And this Methodist church, it's interesting because Methodist church, by its teaching and doctrine officially, forbids all kinds of things. Card playing, drinking. Um, drinking coffee at yeah. one point, like in the, in the yeah. more, like holiness version. Yeah. And Methodism has like a double life because it's always like kind of done the other thing. I mean, if you, if you go to your local Methodist setting, you'll have all kinds of things that might not line up. And I'm not sure. thinking about Methodist here. But her Methodist church, like, they had like of these pageant, this pa- they had pageantry, but they had these pageants, they had these plays. They had like a big, this is where like Amy, the biography mm. says, Amy got her performing like her knack from her, like that's where she first tapped into this performing thing. Yeah. Was that they did like these extravagant, like performing like biblical stories and Christmas pageants and everything. Wow. And they'd have these elaborate costumes, I guess like, and they had all, and they had all kinds of, and they'd have all these events at the church with performance or types of I don't know, playing games or just activities <laughs> that, like, you know, it was a very lively social place. And she this got her into her, this is how she started to build her personality. Right. Let's do this. She, started, she found it there. She found the, the tools she put in her belt. She, there, the tools yeah. she put in her belt were yeah. from this Methodist church. And so, you know, even though she ended, ultimately ended up not being a Methodist later right. on because she's part of a... She's like the Pentecostal right. movement, right? Came out of that. Right. And then her, her parents were Salvation um, right. Army. Right. Or, sorry, I said her parents were Methodist. She had a, her parents were Methodist and Salvation Army, I guess. It's, I, which I did not know until, yeah. uh, until Bible college. That's like a denomination. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend. It's uh, not just a thrift store. You go get no, a nice no. coat at. Yeah, it's a... Got for their uniforms and everything. I got a friend who's a is a minister in the Salvation Army. Or really? A, a Does he have a ring? Lieutenant? Oh, lieutenant. Yeah, they're very yeah. they're paramilitary. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, it's funny because you've seen her story as she as she started to as she met Robert Semple, this Pentecostal preacher in this basement Holy Roller thing yeah. during this early revival, this early revival religious scene, and she had this Methodist background, this Salvation Army background. People heard about it. And um, it brought to light that, you know, her the Salvation Army looked down upon Pentecostals. You know, in the, Ang- mm. in the Anglican... Everyone did. That's I'm going to pick on Anglicans now. Anglicans get this thing like, oh, we're this, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're a little, we're kind of close to the Catholics. Then there's us. Then there's all these other Protestants. They're all just lumped in this big monolith of Protestantism. Right. Like, no, you see, like, things within Protestantism... That are totally at odds with Salvation Army was orderly. Yeah. <laughs> Pentecostalism is spontaneous. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it's like you, you see these two different um I mean yeah, you well, get, the, the joke is like because in you know, in most like more evangelical type churches, the, the sermon is the main thing. That's the main event right. of any service. And so you'll see, you know, guys go up there. And say something to the effect of, I had a sermon prepared for this Sunday, but last night the Lord gave me something else to talk about. And right. you knew that was either true sometimes. Right. Or it meant he had not prepared a sermon at all and he was about to wing it for forty minutes. Yeah. And so like and that was perfectly acceptable. So right. So uh so she had entertainment value. She was uh, the teenage rebel, she was the alpha personality, and the last aspect I'll mention mm. was um 
a, she was a healer. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, like I have students in my classes ask about healings. Like, do, are they real? Like, do, like I know my friend goes to this church where they say they heal people. And I'm going to pull this quote from uh, Epstein's biography of her because she had these, like she had, I mean, she was, it's not the primary thing she did. Mm -hmm. And she only did a, she only did healings for a certain part of her career. But when I'm listening to this audiobook, I almost feel like I was reading the Gospels. Because when you read the Gospels, you're like, Jesus, he goes from this town, then he goes right. to the next town, then he gives these discourses, and he, then he then he has this argument with the Pharisees, and then he does a healing here, right. here and here. He raises someone from the then dead. He, then he raises, yeah, yeah, just yeah. raises someone from the dead, but he does a healing. lunch, you know. Yeah, he does a healing here there. Then he does some more speeches. Then he does has another argument. Then he tells this parable, right. and then he has another healing. So it's almost like healings are kind of like sprinkled throughout, but it's not like it's not like a book of just healings. Right. When I was listening to this book on Amy McPherson, I felt like I was like every like every fifteen minutes, I was hearing about another healing, and I'm right. like, okay, this is not two thousand years ago, where critics right. can pick apart the Bible and say, okay, well, healings then, and, you know, right. people that know about diseases, I don't believe any of this. I'm just saying that's right, what they right, would say. Right. They they have like you know, these, and but this stuff has taken place in the '30s and the '40s. I'm like. Okay, like right. she just does this healing. She healed. There was one very gripping where she she healed a person who I mean was like the way the biographer described it. It looked like a movie where like all the bones in the joint straighten out, mm -hmm. and everything just becomes straight. And she gets somebody who walks like 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 a something yeah. a Hollywood special effect would right. have to do to show a healing in a movie. And she did. And the way the biographer said she did this, but and this is what Epstein says. He said. The healings present a monstrous obstacle to scientific historiography. If events transpired as newspapers, letters, and testimonials say they did, then Amy Simple McPherson's healing ministry was miraculous. Since a miracle by definition is a thing which defies reality, there is no place in scholarly or scientific history for recurrent miracles. If it would be convenient, if we could find some evidence that Sister Amy's miraculous healing, healings were faked for the benefit of publicity, but there is no such evidence. The documentation is overwhelming. Very sick people came to Sister Amy by the tens of thousands, blind, deaf, paralyzed. Many were healed, some temporarily, some forever. And this is the important point I want to add. She would point to heaven, to Christ the great healer, and would take no credit for the results. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean this blowing. is real, I mean, mind-blowing, but again, I agree with you. I mean, you can't buy scientific historiography as we have. It's like when people yeah. debate the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Do I believe someone can scientifically prove it? Right. I don't think we can go to that extent. Not but, unless you could literally be there and right. study I mean, these are not, these are extraordinary yeah. things. They're, yeah. They're not, there's something yeah. though that like I, I mentioned, uh, you know, we know we were talking earlier. Al, Alvin Planning of the uh, philosopher, uh, Christian philosopher, and he he pointed out that the idea that some people in science have that I'm going to go into the lab and leave my Christianity at the door, right, right? and then just seek to use scientific means, that would produce a world in which if you got to like whatever the smallest possible particle is, and it said on it, made by God. You would have to reject the idea that God right. made it, right? Which is ridiculous. But at the same time, like those are they are signs and wonders, right? Mm -hmm. They're meant to make people go, huh? 
Is this right. real? What's going on? That's the whole purpose of them, you know? Is to baffle. Yeah, and, and there's a difference, too. And I, I thought of this a little while ago as you were talking about the healings. and Because there is a, a sign and wonder and proof and uh, real lived experience aspect of Pentecostalism. But there's also the idea embedded in it that the things that God does through his spirit now and, and then in Jesus' day are because he loves and actually cares about the individual people. Right. So yes, it may be a sign when someone is healed, but it's also because God loved and cared about that person, right? Right. Um, and an example of this is if you read like Old Testament signs and wonders, uh, you know, a, a sacrifice is consumed by fire with Elijah, or there are 10 plagues on, on uh, Egypt. And those are all amazing signs, right? right. You can't, undeniable if you see them. But they don't, none of them are like, healing sites, right. right? And some of the healings in the Old Testament, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Some of the healings in the Old Testament are private, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, is it Elisha and the and the, the widow's son? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, th- this was not done in front of a large group of people. This was something that was done. He died in that house and he was in that house and Elisha went up there and touched him and healed him and brought him back. And that's just a, a, a work of mercy and a work of, of grace, the grace and love of God, right. you know? And so the, both, both of those things are very much a part of the Pentecostal um, movement is that God right. does things to show that He is God, and that and to uh, to show that Christ is the Son of God, and to draw people to Himself. But there are also things that you know have the side benefit, I guess, of yeah. of being amazing things that happen mm-hmm. in the lives of real human people. Yeah. So, and and I um, believe in miracles to this yeah. day. Uh, I had a friend, actually, a man I knew from Calvary, that church mm-hmm. that I was at. Um, you know, he's he's been a Episcopal. <laughs> It's kind of, kind of parallel the Lutheran story about the guy who was he'd been Lutheran born, right? You'll die a Lutheran, but uh, he had this experience. <laughs> this is so for an Episcopalian. Um, he, uh, I knew as an Episcopalian, Palian went to the Episcopal Church, but he uh, had a couple friends who were, uh, I guess, Pentecostal, but they went to a church that did healing. It was like a healing, had a healing ministry, and they'd call people up and they'd go up there. And they would, you know, um, receive healing. Yeah. He had a sinus infection that he, that plagued him really. I mean, that he suffered from, from a young man and he's in his like thirties and he went to this meeting, this service and went up there and he says, I swear to this day, I've never, you know, and uh, I went back with my friend to this church a few times. I never left my Church, I like to say the Episcopal right. Church. That's me. That's that's how you I, find God. That's, that's where I right. find God. Yeah, that's where God finds me. That's distinction. But he uh, he had this experience. So I've never doubted like like miracle. I mean, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's, like, it's where it's where am I control. at with that? Because it's, it's like it's control. not part of like yeah. what I do in my ministry in the Episcopal on Sundays. Like our primary like celebration of the Eucharist and worship, like. Um, we just don't like do that or claim to, to do that or claim that, you know, we will ask God to do this through us. I mean, we just don't, that's just not part of our thing. But but you're focused on the consistent, A, the most important and B, the most consistent. And that is that you will find the grace of God here. The grace of God. You will find that here. Which leads me to my next point. I want to, um, we'll close fairly soon. Um, but I want to put this quote, I want to. Quote the biographer of Amy McPherson. Um, Amy actually got into 
some conflict with, well, she always got in conflict with everyone. She was, uh, you know, scandalous and everything else. Uh, Which we didn't even touch on. We didn't even right? t- we didn't get on the scandals. I mean, we're, all, we're already, we're, we're an hour and 22. We got to wrap it up in, in a few minutes. We really do. Uh, yeah. We could we could follow up in a few months with I'm another episode on just her scandals and all this stuff. That'd be great, yeah. Uh, but she got in conflict with some of uh, her fellow religious leaders, maybe fellow Pentecostals mm-hmm. about, remember way back early in the episode, you talked about kind of that there's the uh, coming to faith and there's the second, yeah, second work of grace, grace yeah. which is sanctification. She rejected that and she got, she rejected, sorry, I need to speak louder because this microphone, she rejected <laughs> that second state and got into a conflict with some uh, people there. She said mm-hmm. she argued with church authorities against the teaching of sanctification as a second definite work of grace. Sanctification is a sticking point for fundamentalist theology. It is supposed to be a second state of grace after conversion in which the Christian attains moral perfection. The idea is that beyond the conversion experience, there is a further deeper plane of holiness in which one becomes complete and whole in effect, Christ-like. The Shakers believed this. So did some of the founders of the holiness movement in the 19th century, like Stephen was saying. Mm -hmm. Present believers in Christian perfection are the Church of God in Tennessee, the Fire Baptized Holy Church, and Mountain Assembly of God. Mm. It is a doctrine of such subtlety and persuasion that sanctification deserves more serious attention than we can give it here, more perhaps than Amy gave it. She was far more concerned with his insidious rhetoric as sanctification influenced the simple soul she wished to win to the church. Mm. The idea of perfection seemed undemocratic, snobbish, and narrow. It led to a division in any community between those who have achieved sanctification and those who mm-hmm. had not. The notion led to the stratification and the glorification of priests and the hundreds of regulations and conduct codes. Those who claimed or pursued Christian perfection often turned their backs on the world, the onrush of history and modern technology. They became strange. Amy wanted her religion to fit everyone. She wanted no part of any idea that might exclude people out of hand from the experience of Christianity. She believed in the idea of perfection as a Christian goal, but rejected this principle of sanctification, which dangerously suggested it was attainable in this life. Mm -hmm. Page 132 of the biography by Mark David. It's a great book. Oh, my gosh. I got goosebumps listening to the narrator of this book read it. Because that that was Luther. I mean, that was, I mean, yeah. That was Luther. That was Calvin. That that, ties us back to the Reformation theology. So much of the, a lot of the later Protestant theology kind of got it. And you see it as early as the Puritans. What are the signs that you are saved? What are the signs that God is that you are um, truly saved. Right. Like the criteria comes back. The criteria that Luther and Calvin tried to reject that said, you know, right. the church is trying to make this about works and about merit. And you see soon Protestantism, they adopted the same thing. I mean, and this is not an apologetic for Luther or Calvin, but I'm just trying to say that, yeah. you know, um, no, they're, no they're, true Scotsman. Like, right, there is no right. one as doing it right as me and the way I, right. the things I think are important. And that's are our really human important nature. Things. Yes. We like to measure each other. Yeah. We like, we don't, we don't have the mind of God. We, we try to measure each other and we, tr- we try to, we try to make ourselves good for God. Right. Very foolish. God makes himself good for us through right. his son, Jesus Christ. And right. so, Amen. Um, 
Amen. On that note, thank you, Stephen. This yeah. has been an incredible episode. This yeah, is like a for sign me. for me that this show is going places. <laughs> you are going to, I need to have you back on here. I would love that. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Um, I had, I was making a little timeline feature. Like, I already have the next year, like, kind of lined it because we're doing two episodes a month. Yeah. I'm like, all right, so where am I going to, I need to bring Stephen back next fall because he, it's, it has to be early the next one. <laughs> well, um, I'd love to October, do it. October, Stephen, awesome. something. <laughs> he can come up with whatever. I, I know it's going to be good because, like, we just, you know, we, we just no, do this that. This has been, been man. awesome, man. Thanks. It's been so fun. Thank you. Again, you're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. Um, we will be back on in a couple of weeks with Ben Madison. We'll be talking about the law and the gospel. Uh, I hope our last note actually kind of is a good segue for talking about the gospel and the saving grace of mm. Jesus Christ. So, God bless you all. Happy New Year. Um, and we will see you. We will have you tuning in soon. God bless. Hi, and thank you for listening. This is Reverend Andrew Christensen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to check out our previous episodes of Doth Protest Too Much. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show, please do so. Five stars, one star, however you honestly feel, we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback. Also, for any further questions or suggestions for our show, please email me at dothprotesttomuchpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.